Over the past two weeks, we have been considering this idea of disappointment because it's something that's common to all of us. We are disappointed with general things in life, that things just don't happen the way we want them to happen. They don't go the way we want them to go. We can also get disappointed in people because people don't respond to us in the way that lives up to our expectations. And it's not just, I mean, married couples could get up here and we could just have a a testifying time and say how this is how my husband disappointed me, this is how my wife disappointed me. But let's face it, all of us, all of us deal with disappointments. All of us get disappointed with other people and and people get disappointed with us. And last week we talked about how, how do we deal with that? How do we, in a biblical manner, deal with disappointments when we're disappointed by other people? Well, today we're actually going to step out on what I think is, at least feeling-wise for many of us, thin ice. To ask questions that are going to be uh, a little more uh, precarious. That we think, "Mm, should I actually be talking about this? And that is, what do I do when I'm disappointed with God? When I feel like it's God who has disappointed me, how do I handle that? How do I manage that? And this morning, I'd like us to consider three actions that we can take when we're dealing with disappointment with God. So let's let's pray and, and ask God to give us some wisdom in this. Father God, we each come with our own share of uh, disappointments and disillusionment. But we've gathered here today to hear what you have to say. And so my first prayer, Lord, is that you'd let me back out of the way and that you would step to the forefront and that you would speak. And as usual, God, you have the full sway to completely change everything that's been planned. Because what's most important in my heart today, God, and I know what's most important in your heart today is that you connect with each of these people who've come today, that you connect with them in a powerful spiritual way that transforms them, that changes them. And so, Lord, do your, do your powerful work. We open ourselves up to whatever it is that you have to speak into our lives today. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. If we're going to think about disappointment with God, let's begin by taking another trip out to the pumpkin patch with Linus. Hey, aren't you going to wait and greet the great pumpkin? Huh? It won't be long now. If the great pumpkin comes, I'll still put in a good word for you. Good grief. I said if. I meant when he comes. I'm doomed. One little slip like that can cause a great pumpkin to pass you by. Oh, great pumpkin, where are you? Let me begin by saying this. I am in no way comparing the Lord God Almighty with the great pumpkin. The primary reason is because God is real and the great pumpkin, and I hope this doesn't burst anybody's bubble, the great pumpkin isn't real. I mean, that's just just a cartoon that we're showing. But I wanted to show you that because I think the attitude that Linus shows 
When he, express, when he uses the word if, when he expresses the smallest bit of doubt and disappointment and disillusionment in the great pumpkin, that's the same kind of, of reaction that we have. If we ever get a feeling that God has let us down, if we ever start entertaining the slightest bit of doubts, if we ever start asking why in our own minds, then we put our hands over our mouths. Our hair may not shoot out like Linus's did then, but we begin to get worried. What are the repercussions of that? What's God going to do to me if I come out and I, I say something like that? If, I, if it actually slips out, if, if a doubt ever slips out, if I ever ask why, what is God going to do to me? You and I pray and we don't always get the answers that we, the way we pray for it. We seek God and, and we, we, we have a plan, but it seems that God's got some other plan over here. And we, we, we ask God to, here's my issue, God fix it. And God doesn't always fix it the way we want him to fix it. We become disappointed with God, kind of like Linus in the pumpkin patch. Got disappointed because the great pumpkin didn't live up to his expectations. What do we do when we're disappointed with God? Here are the three actions I'm going to suggest to you or this path that you can take when you're disappointed with God. And the first is this. Be honest with God. When you're disappointed with God, be honest with God. Do we think we can be honest with God? Or do we think that if we are honest with God about our doubts, about our disillusionments, about our whys, that, that's, that God is going to pass us by? God is going to look down on us. God is going to strike us down. God is going to move us aside. God is going to punish us in some way if we're honest with him. Should we be honest with him or should we try to sweep it under the rug, hide it in the closet and put on a happy face? Well, if you don't know the answer to that, let me give you a hint. Be honest with God. Why? Because he already knows. Most of you know the story of Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden. If you don't, let me give you just a real quick synopsis. God created Adam and Eve, the first couple. He put them in a garden, and that garden was filled with good things. Everything was perfect in that garden. And God said yes to them. He said, listen, I've created all this for your joy, all this for your pleasure, all this for you. You go and you eat and you, you, you just have a great time. All this is wide open to you. You get it all. Except I'm putting one tree in the garden and I'm telling you no to that one tree. Don't eat of the fruit of that tree. Enjoy everything else. Don't eat of the fruit of that tree because when you do, bad things are going to happen. You're going to die. And so in a garden full of yeses, what do Adam and Eve choose? The only no. In a garden full of yeses, they choose the only no. And at that point, they look at themselves and they go, you're naked. And Eve says, you're naked too. And they're like, And they become ashamed. Guilt enters into their lives because sin has entered into their lives. Now we read that 
it was the, the normal routine for God to come walking in the garden in the cool of the day and for Adam and Eve to, to go out and to meet God. That's what we read. It's like the ice cream truck when you hear it. Yeah. Hey, there's God. Let's go see him. But after this, everything changed. And their attitude became, hey, there's God. Let's hide. And so they went and jumped in the bushes. They went and hid behind trees so that God wouldn't see them. Now you and I look at that and go, well, that's ridiculous. Did they honestly think that they could go get behind these bushes, get over here in the shrubs, and that God would go, what happened? I know I left them right here. I mean, did they honestly think that, that God couldn't see them, that God didn't know what had happened, that God would somehow be tricked by them playing hide-and-seek? No. You and I know that. When we look from our perspective now, we go, that was just foolishness. How could they have thought that they could have hid from God by going and getting in the bushes? And yet we play the same game. You come here this morning. Songs come up on the screen. The music begins. You begin to sing. People came up to you this morning and shook your hand and said, Hey, how you doing? And you said, I'm, I'm fine. Everything's great. You came in and, and you heard the prayers and you tried to say your amens and you tried to get in. Some of you lifted your hands. Some of you clapped your hands. Some of you closed your eyes. And, and everybody looked around and said, Hey, this is cool. Everybody's good. But everybody's not good. You came in here this morning carrying disappointments and disillusionments with life and with other people and even with God himself. You came in here with unconfessed sin. You came in with with guilt. You came in with anxieties and worries and fears. And you put on this happy face. And guess what? You're going to fool most of the people in here. But God's not fooled. You're no more hidden from God. You've no more tucked those things away so that God couldn't see them any more than Adam and Eve were hidden from God behind the bushes. We look at that and we go, that's foolish. Well, look at this. This is foolish too. Growing up in, in my family, we had one room of the house, and it was called the junk room. I don't know who came up with that. It, it, it may have been one of us kids. It may have been my mother. I don't know. It may have been my dad. But everything that didn't have a place that we didn't want anybody to see went in the junk room. And then what do you do? You close the door. And when people come over to your house, you just walk right by that door, and you pretend that, that junk is not in there. My house is neat. My house is tidy. It's not there. I mean, we all do this in our families. I I remember growing up, you probably experienced the same thing. My mother would be angry. She'd be mad as a wet setting hen, as my grandmother would say. She would be super mad, and she'd be fussing at us and fussing at us. And the phone would ring, and she'd pick it up and go, hello? Like none of the other stuff was happening. 
We fool people, but we don't fool God. He knows this morning, if you came to this place and you were disappointed in Him, He knows the doubts that you carry in your heart. He knows the fears that you carry with you. He knows the anxieties that you have. He knows the doubts and the questions and the whys. So why not be honest with God? Go to the closet, go to the junk room and open it up and say, Okay, God, I think you're big enough and wise enough and good enough and loving enough to see everything here. I'm not sweeping things under the rug anymore. I'm not hiding them in a closet anymore. I'm not going to wear a mask with you, God, anymore. From now on, I'm going to be honest with you. I'm not going to be like Linus in the pumpkin patch who becomes fearful when I'm honest with you. I'm going to tell you what it is. And this is what I'm going to suggest that some of you probably need to do because I need to do it every now and then. If you're able to drive, some of you are a little too young, but if you're able to drive, get in your car, get in your truck, go find some place that is absolutely and utterly deserted. It may be a country road somewhere. It may be a field. It could be a cemetery. You know, I know, I know that sounds a little creepy, um, but, but I hang out in the cemetery. There's not a lot of people to bother me there. I'll go to the cemetery and I'll walk and I'll talk with God and I'll pray and I'll read and I'll, I'll study. Sometimes I go to the cemetery and take a nap. I mean, I figure I'm eventually going to be there anyway. I'll lay back in the truck and I'll just roll down the windows and sit in the shade and I'll take a nap. My greatest fear is that Billy McCommons from the funeral home is going to come knocking on say, hey, you got to move, we got a funeral coming through here. But the reason I do this is because I need a place where it can be me and God and I can be honest with God and not have to worry about having a mask for anybody else, not have to worry about putting on a show for anybody else, and I can just walk and talk, and I can rant and rave, and I can be completely honest with God and say, God, here's all my junk. Here's all my doubts. Here's all my fears. Here are all my anxieties. God, here it is. I'm not hiding it anymore. I want to be honest with you because I'm going to tell you this. If you hide it from God, you will never deal with it with God. And so be honest with Him. The second action that we need to take, and this follows the first, is that we need to trust in God's plan. You and I need to trust in God's plan. Now, again, I want to take this... I want want to be... um, I'm really careful here because I don't want to say, I want you to hear something I'm not saying. A lot of times as, as strong Christians, when we face somebody who has doubts in their lives or we face somebody who's going through a difficult time, we kind of stay on the surface level with them. I mean, they've got something going on down here and, and we're up here. And what we end up doing is we end up saying things, and we're, we're really trying to help. We end up saying things. They come, and they pour out something in front of us, and we go, well, you know, God moves in mysterious ways. Bye. Or, you know, well, uh, we, you can't understand that right now. It's a mystery, you know. And that may well be true. But it's not helping them. Here they are with fragile faith exposing themselves, their hearts, their souls, their, their, their very being to you. And, and, 
and it's uncomfortable for us. And so we say these trite, almost empty things to them that sound religious, but they're not helping them at all. James, when he wrote the book of James, he said that, you know, if, if you've got a brother that comes to you and, and he's hungry and he he's, doesn't have clothing and he's in a bad way and you just pat him on the back, rub his head and say, hey, you know, God bless you. I'll see you. You haven't helped him. You haven't done a thing for him. What do we need to do? We need to follow the example of Jesus. What did Jesus do? Jesus entered into our world. Jesus came as one of us. And the Bible says that he was tempted in every way that we are, except he didn't sin. That he entered into our world and he entered into our pain. I'd like to think that Jesus never missed with his mallet when he was hammering. But if he experienced what we experienced, even the Son of God may have hit his thumb. Even the Son of God may have stubbed his toe. He entered into our pain. God put on flesh and bone and entered into our world and entered into our pain. So much so that in the Garden of Gethsemane, as Jesus is praying, he says, Father, if there's any way Looking at the crucifixion, look at this, looking, carrying the sins of the world. If there's any way, God, take this cup from me, but it's not my will I want to follow, it's yours. He entered into our pain. And as followers of Jesus Christ, when people are vulnerable to us, the Bible says to confess your sins to one another. When people are vulnerable to us, we have got to find a way to enter into their pain. So that we don't skim the surface. Now all that's, all that's to say, we don't want to give empty answers. Trite, worn statements. We want to be real. Now as far as, as we're concerned though, we've got to be able to do that. But at the same time, we've got to be able to call other people to trust in God's plan, just like we need to trust in God's plan. Because I want to tell you, the pain that you're feeling right now, that's not the totality of God's plan. The mess that you are in right now, that's not the totality of God's plan for you. God has something bigger for you. God has something better for you, better than you could even come up with on your own. The prophet Jeremiah put it this way in Jeremiah 29, 11. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you a future and a hope. I know the plans. God says, I know the plans. Guess what? You don't know the plan. So somewhere between giving people trite answers of God's got it all in control and sharing with them biblical answers that God does have a plan and a purpose for your life and entering into their pain, that makes it real for them. When we enter into their pain, then we can bring the truth to bear and it makes it real. But you and I also have to be able to, if we're disappointed with God, we've got to be able to to trust him, to say, God, 
I accept that your plan is bigger than, than my plan. I accept that your will is different than my plan. I know you've got a purpose for all this, even though I don't understand it. And it's not making a lot of sense to me right now. I know you have a plan. I know you have a purpose. I'm not a person that wants to get a tattoo. First of all, I understand they use needles. So that kind of leaves me out right there. But if I ever did have anything tattooed, it would be where I could see it, maybe on the back of my hand. And it would simply say R O eight colon two eight. Why? Because it would remind me of a very important truth found in Romans eight twenty eight. And that says we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who've been called according to his purpose. We don't feel it, we know it. And that's the difference. In the midst of my disappointment with God, am I willing to say, God, I trust you even if I don't feel like it, even if I don't understand? And so when you're out in the field, on that dirt road, in the backyard, at the cemetery, and you're laying all this stuff out before God, and you're being completely honest with Him, and you've removed all the masks, don't forget to say, God, in the midst of this, I just want to let you know, I'm, I'm making a statement of faith. I'm making a choice here. God, I am trusting you, even though I don't understand, and this hurts. But is that it? I mean, is that as far as we go when we deal with disappointments with God that, that, we are, that we're honest with Him and that we, we trust Him in the midst of it? Now, I want to suggest that there's one more action that we need to take that follows these previous two actions. The third action that we need to take is to receive God's grace. Receive God's grace. I want you to listen to the struggle that Paul had that's found in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 7 through 9. I'm going to set it up. In the first six verses, Paul is talking about the, the, the unbelievable things that God has revealed to him. Paul has experienced things that normal people didn't experience. Paul has seen things that normal people hadn't seen. God has blessed him with giving him visions and revelations that other people didn't have. And then he picks up in verse 7. And this is what I want us to hear today. In verse 7 he says this, To keep me from becoming conceited because of all these surpassing great revelations, there was given me a thorn in my flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me. Three times I pleaded with the Lord to take away, take it away from me. But he said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest on me. Now, unless we get this part, The other two 
are going to probably leave you wanting a little bit. Because in the midst of all this that we're laying out before God, all this that we're giving over to God, all this that we're exposing to God, there's something we need to receive. There's some grace and strength that God has for us. Now, when we read this, the first question that always goes to anybody's mind is, what is this thorn in the flesh that Paul talks about? And Bible scholars have debated this through the years and come up with all sorts of answers as to what it could be. But I per- this is a personal belief. I personally believe that God did not give us the answer. And, per- and God purposely kept Paul from revealing the specific issue in his life because this was our fill in the blank. We can put our thorn in the flesh right Our biggest issue, our greatest challenge, our worst defeat can go right there. Because we have all been where Paul is. God, I've got this challenge in front of me. I've got this hill that's too great to climb. I've got this disease, this diagnosis from the doctor. I've got this sin that so easily entangles me. I've got this habit that I cannot overcome. And God, I have prayed about it. And I have prayed about it. And I have prayed about it. But God, you've not taken it away. Why not? God, this is disappointing. I thought I did what I was supposed to do. I came and I brought my stuff to you and I said, God, you take care of it. But you didn't take care of it. Why didn't you take care of it, God? Am I going to have to live with this for the rest of my life? Am I going to have to endure this pain, this torment for the rest of my natural life? You know, sometimes God does this. It's, it's absolutely incredible. We rejoice when someone is, has had a diagnosis of cancer and they come back and they say, The doctor said, there's no more cancer. And we rejoice and we celebrate that. And we, oh man, it's so great. Or we look, you know, we we look at somebody who's got a terrible automobile accident and and they've recovered and now they're, they're doing great. And we go, God, that's, look at what you did, God. That's such a great miracle, God. But as many times as I do that, I also stand in front of a casket. And cancer has taken the life. Are you telling me that this person didn't pray and say, God, could you do, could you take this tumor out? Could you deal with all the cancer cells that are going on in my body? God, I'm glad that person over there is well, but what about me? me God I'm so disappointed and like Paul we need to hear the voice of our loving God who gave his son for us say child my grace is enough That I would take you from darkness and death into light and life. That I would remove all your sins from you and cast them as far as the east is from the rest. That I would call you my own. Is that not 
enough? Will you not love me because I've done that for you? Will you withhold your love for me because I don't answer this prayer the way you prayed it? And yes, we know some, we, we know, God, I know you have a bigger plan. I know you have a bigger purpose. But there are times that God enters into our lives and says, listen, you're going to have to trust me on this one. My grace is sufficient. It's enough. And to add to that, my power is made perfect in weakness. People won't. We think that if, if God would just come in and heal every disease. And I've often said, God, you know, if you want to choose me to have this healing power, I'd go skipping down the halls of the hospitals in Athens. I'd go up to, to Atlanta. I'd, I'd go and I'd touch everybody and say, hey, get up from the bed. You're well. And, and go on and, 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 and live it up. And you'd think that if God would do that, that the whole world would say, yay, Jesus. But God's already done that. And they killed him. God isn't here to put on a light and sound show to wow people into heaven. He sent his son to save us and to abide with us and to live with us even in the midst of our pain. And for people who, are, who have a thorn in the flesh, whatever that is, to be able to say God is good. God is good. This cancer, it may kill me. This disease I've got, it may take me. But you know what? This is not my home. This is not all I'm living for. There's a God who loved me enough to send his son to die for me and live or die. I will rejoice in him. My grace is sufficient. My power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, Paul said, I'm going to rejoice in my weakness. I'm going to rejoice in my cancer. I'm going to rejoice in my arthritis. I'm going to rejoice in my poverty. I'm going to rejoice in my pain. I'm going to rejoice in my eyesight going. I'm going to rejoice in it, not because it's any fun, but because I know God is with me in it, giving me everything I need. The weeping prophet Habakkuk. In Habakkuk chapter chapter 3, I want to leave you with these words that he spoke. said, though the fig tree does not bud and there are no grapes on the vines, though the olive crop fails and the fields produce no food, though there are no sheep in the pen and no cattle in the stalls, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. 
I will be joyful in God, my Savior. The sovereign Lord is my strength. And he makes my feet like the feet of a deer. Enables me to go on to the heights. My God will enable me to overcome. I don't know what your disappointments are with God. But are you willing to be honest with him this morning and say, okay, God, here it is. Here is the key to my junk room. Here's what I've been hiding under the rug. Here's the mask. I'm pulling it off. And today, God, I want to be honest with you. Are you willing to go to him and say, God, even though it doesn't feel right, even though it's painful, God, I just want to let you know I'm trusting you through this. Are you willing to receive what God has to enable you to stand up and endure and overcome his grace, his undeserved favor, and his power, which is made perfect in weakness?